So I've been reading this book called The Five-Hour Workweek, um, which I don't necessarily recommend. I just started it. And I'm also not trying to only work five hours a week just to put you guys at ease. Um, but one of the, the things that the author is trying to get his audience to do is to think about what type of life they would live if there was essentially no restrictions. And so he has you imagine, he calls it dreamlining, and he has you imagine what if you were 10 times smarter than anybody else? What if you had unlimited money, unlimited resources, what would you do? And, and like what type of occupation would you have? How, how would you spend your life, right? Which is an interesting question. Um, and, and so I wanna do a little bit of moral dreamlining with you right now, all right? So this is the question I wanna ask you. If there were no restrictions on your life, how would you live? Or let me ask it like this. If, if the only thing that you had to concern yourself with in life was your own happiness, what type of person would you be? Right, so let's say there's, there's no law, there's no accountability, there's nobody looking over your shoulders and just so that you don't feel bad or feel guilty, your decisions aren't negatively impacting anyone else. You can do literally whatever you want and you've got unlimited resources to create it. What type of person are you gonna be? Think about that for a minute. <clears throat> so I don't know what's coming to mind, but I'm thinking yacht in the Caribbean. I'm never doing dishes again. Like there's some dude that I'm gonna pay and he's gonna do my dishes forever. And he's also gonna like make sure that I don't lose anything, which you're thinking, Jordan, you gotta dream bigger than that. That's a big deal for me, okay? I really need that. Um, but I'm just, I immediately go to how can I make my life as comfortable, easy, and, and essentially self-centered as possible, honestly? Isn't it true that we tend to think that living a self-centered life is the good life. Because here's what I love about these questions is they get to what you see as the good life. So whether you know it or not, whether it's explicit or implicit, you have a view of the world in which you look forward and you say, what is the good life? What life will make me happy? And you, you live for that and then you reverse engineer your life to try to create that life for yourself. And so you make decisions that you hope will lead to your future happiness and fulfillment. Now, now let me ask you a question. Where does Christianity come into the mix of that? Because I, I think we tend to think that those two things are antithetical to each other. That the good life in Jesus are actually not only, are, are not the same thing, but they're in opposition towards each other. So over here is the fun, happy life, and over here is the life that you know you should live, but don't really want to. And so we've separated those two things, but what if I told you that Jesus is the good life? And he came to give you access to his life. Look at Galatians 5, 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Jesus came to give you freedom, aka the good life. It might be a hard life, but he wants you to live the best life that you possibly could, and he's the creator of the universe, so he actually is pretty intelligent on knowing what that good life is. He came to set you free, and actually, Jesus is preparing, this is a wild truth. Jesus right now 
is preparing a place for heaven in you. He is preparing the good life for you that if you are in Christ, you will have access to someday. And by the way, he's way more creative than even you are in creating a great life for you. He's way more imaginative than any of the stuff you imagine when I ask you what you would do to be happy. And he's reverse engineering that life and he's bringing it into this life and saying this is the pathway to the good life. That is the moral teachings of Jesus. That's what he's doing. But in order to access that life, there's something that we have to do. The the second half of that verse where it says, do not submit to the yoke of slavery. Okay, so we're, we're familiar with these concepts of freedom and slavery, obviously, but we're not familiar with them in this context. So whenever you think about slavery, it's something that is being forced upon someone against their own will. And they have no control over what's happening, otherwise they wouldn't be in slavery. But right here, Paul is saying to you, hey, don't submit to slavery. Or another way of saying that is choose freedom instead of slavery. So here's my question, is what human being would possibly choose slavery if they had a chance at freedom? Here's the answer. Every single human being would choose slavery when they had the chance of freedom. You Choose slavery when you have the chance at freedom. I do. It's like what Rachel said in her video. Sin is slavery. Following Jesus is freedom. There's essentially two ways to live. The way of Jesus that he has designed to be good for you. And then the way of Worshiping and pursuing and enjoying anything else in this world as ultimate, and that is the way of slavery. But here's the difficulty, is that the way of Jesus so often looks like a straitjacket because of the moral commands that he gives to us. It, it looks like it's slavery, and the way of, of sin looks really fun and really enticing. It looks like freedom, but it's actually slavery. And so this is what I want to talk about this morning is through Galatians 5, is I want to point out two ways that we're tempted to lean towards slavery instead of freedom. Because of the the disposition of your heart that you will tend to move towards slavery thinking that it's freedom. Two ways, and then I want to talk to you about the good life. I want to talk to you about what freedom actually looks like and what living a life of freedom would mean. All right, so the first path towards slavery is trying to keep the law for righteousness. All right, so look at verse two. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Okay, this is what he's saying, is he's saying that slavery is trying to prove your own goodness to God and other people. It's trying to to justify yourselves through the rules. Now, you might be thinking, we get it. You've talked about this every single week in Galatians. We can't be justified by the law. You can't be saved by the law. It's only through Christ. We get it. Okay, here's the thing, though, is Paul keeps talking about it. 
It's like all over the place in Galatians. Why does Paul keep talking about it? Because people are so tempted to fall back into this idea that you can be good on your own. And if the Galatians were falling back into that to the point that Paul had to repeat it all the time to them, don't you think it would be arrogant to assume that we're any different? I came across this quote this week that's, a, that's about something else, but it got me thinking about this idea of, of why. Why is it so tempting for us to try to be good on our own instead of trust God. So this is a quote from Sean Parker. He was one of uh, the initial guys in Facebook with Mark Zuckerberg, and now he's kind of talking about the dangers of social media. And, And so this is a quote about social media and how it was designed. This is kind of wild. Listen to this. God only knows what it's doing to our children's brains. That is social media. The thought process that went into building these applications was all about how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible. We need to give you a little dopamine hit every once in a while because someone liked or commented on a photo or post or whatever, and this is going to get you to contribute more content. And that is going to get you more likes and comments. Listen, it's a social validation feedback loop. It's exactly the kind of thing that a hacker like myself would come up with because you're exploiting a vulnerability in human psychology. Okay. So I've got a whole other rant about social media that I'm not going to go on right now. But it's coming at some point. All right. I don't know if it's coming at Salt Company or if it's coming at church, but it's coming. I'm going to read that quote again. I want to go on it. No time. Okay. Here's, here's actually why I'm reading this quote is that that last line is, is so fascinating to me that, that social media is designed as a social validation feedback loop that's exploiting a vulnerability in human psychology. They, they intentionally designed social media to feed a craving in the human heart. What is that craving? What's the vulnerability in human psychology? It's that all of us are incessantly trying to find ways to validate our own existence. That in every facet of our lives, we want to prove something. We want to prove that we belong, that we deserve to be here, that we're significant. And the more I read the Bible, the more I investigate my own heart, the more I talk to you, the more I'm convinced that essentially all human behavior comes down to a few fundamental questions that every single one of us in this room is asking. Questions like, what am I worth? Am I okay? Am I loved? Am I significant? And so we look to little things like social media, somebody clicking something underneath of our post to, to, for a moment, validate that something we said mattered, that something we said was significant. But even more addicting than that, I think, is the addiction of religiosity, of of showing up and and putting on the externals of a good person so that that God or the people around you or maybe you in your own head will validate your existence, will say, you're good, you're okay, to prove that we're lovable. But Paul argues that that pursuit is absolutely crazy, that there's no way that that'll actually work. In in verse three, he says that if you try to justify yourself through the law, if you try to prove your goodness through keeping the rules, what you would have to do is keep every single rule. You, You would never actually be able to make a mistake. If you've broken one rule, you've broken all of them. 
Okay, that's why if you walked in a little sleepy this morning and then at the reading, uh, it got a little real in verse 12. I don't know if that woke you up a little bit where he talked about people emasculating themselves and poor Jane had to read it. And it's like, <laughs> okay, this is uncomfortable. And why is, why is that in there? Paul is essentially saying, hey, if you wanna circumcise yourself to try and justify yourself, you might as well just go the whole way. He's using graphic terminology to say how ridiculous the idea of you being a good person is. And it's funny reading commentators on that because they're like, I, I can almost see them blushing. They're freaking out. But Paul is doing that. It's supposed to be shocking. That's why he does that because that's how ridiculous that idea is. Because if you break one rule of God, it's as if you've broken all of them. So to, to kind of illustrate that, I think about, imagine if at work there was an employee one of your coworkers who was embezzling money from the company. And they got found out, they got caught, right? And so they get called into the boss's office and the boss says, hey, we know you've been stealing from us, you're fired. Now imagine that that employee comes out to you and is just irate at the injustice of this company. And they go on this rant, they're saying, I cannot believe I just got fired from this. I followed the vacation policy perfectly. I never took a sick day when I wasn't supposed to. The employee handbook, I know it all. I've been doing, I'm a great employee. And you're thinking in your head, yeah, but you embezzled money. Like, that's enough to get fired. You breaking the law once is enough to be removed from the presence of God. Because he's that good, he's that holy, there's nothing we could ever do to actually live up to that. Now, I want to clarify something. As we hear that, as we talk about this type of thing, it can be easy to hear or think that what we're saying is that Christianity is anti-being a good person, that, that Christianity is anti-works, that works don't matter. But, but that's not what we're saying. Christianity is anti-being a fake good person. It's anti-pretending to be a good person. It's anti-lowering the standards of God to make them achievable. He's way too big. He's way too holy. The standards are way too high for you to be able to achieve them in your own effort. But God still cares about goodness. Listen to this, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. You see what he's saying? Is that I came along, Jesus came to set you free. But the purpose of that freedom was not for you to just live however you want and do whatever you want because that's not actual freedom. Okay, if within the church there's this temptation towards legalism and trying to impress and prove it for God, within our culture is this idea that freedom is being able to live however you want. Right, in fact, it's viewed as a moral wrong if you try to say that something is wrong to someone else. Because who are you to speak into that individual's rights to live however they want? That, that freedom is living a self-indulgent life. That whatever you desire, you go pursue it. That's freedom. But God's saying, no, that's not, that's not true freedom. That'll actually ruin your life. Because no matter what you pursue, it will never be enough to satisfy your soul. It'll just get you into a deeper and deeper hole of slavery and addiction to that thing. You'll be like an addict going back again and again, being less and less satisfied every time. So God tells you that freedom is following him in self-control. He, he puts limits on desires. But the reason for the limits is not to restrict freedom, but to enhance freedom. Freedom. 
Not to restrict, but to enhance. All right, here's what I mean. Imagine that there is a dog that's on one of those like chains, like a chain in a backyard, has been for its entire life. Let's name this dog Sherman. Because Jessamy talked to me the other day, said she wants them to get a golden doodle someday and name it Sherman and put little glasses on it because it might look like an old man. I don't really know what that means, but I thought it was funny. I don't know if having a dog named Sherman is good for my image, uh, but uh, it is what it is. Okay, so Sherman is in the backyard and he's been, he's been chained up throughout his entire life. He's had a bad owner that's kept him from being free. And so there's a new owner that comes along and wants Sherman to be free. And so he, he lets Sherman off the chain and Sherman's running around. He's, he's sprinting around the yard. He's rolling around in the grass. He's, he's chomping on a bone. He's, he's doing dog things, right? Like he's flourishing as a dog. But what's the, the one thing that that owner needed to have before he could unlock that chain from around the neck of Sherman? He needed to make sure that there was a good quality fence surrounding the backyard. Why? Because if there was no fence, the second he released Sherman from that chain, that dog is taking off and is probably never coming home. And not only is he never coming home and losing a relationship with his new master that's good, but he's running out into the street. He's running into immediate danger. It's not well-being. It's not freedom. It's actually the opposite. So the, the fence is actually enhancing freedom, not restricting it. And so this is what God does as he comes into your life as the new owner, the purchaser of your soul. And he says, I want you to be free. And he releases you from all of the old chains in your life, all of the the sin and the frustration and the slavery and the regret and the pain. He releases you from it. But he builds a fence around the backyard to keep you within his presence, to keep you from running away into danger. And that fence is his moral commands given through Christ. He wants to enhance your freedom. Where are the places in your life that you're standing right at the edge of the fence trying to find a way through? Where are you tempted to push against God's good authority because you think you have a better definition of freedom than he does? That is not freedom. That is slavery. Being in life with Christ is fullness of joy. It's freedom. So this is what we've said, that both legalism and self-indulgence will enslave you. So now I want to talk about the good life, the life of freedom. What does that look like? Look at verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So he summarizes all of the moral commands of God into this, to this one phrase, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the only way to really do that well is is when you love God. And we'll get to that in a second, but but we got to ask this question. This is what he's doing right here is he's giving us instructions on how to obey the law. Didn't he just get done saying that we can't get to God through obeying the law? Like, didn't he just get done telling us that the law is bad, that, that it's... In impossible to follow and that it's anti-gospel and anti-God. Isn't that what the entire book of Galatians is about? Well, yes and no. This is specifically what he's saying. Listen to this distinction. He's saying that trying to fulfill the law in order to be right with God, in order to make yourself good in his sight is anti-gospel and anti-God. 
And, and here's part of the reason why. I think there's multiple reasons, but one of them is that the only person who has ever perfectly kept and satisfied the law is Jesus Christ, who is a divine, divine human being. So if you claim to be good enough to follow the law, you're ex- essentially claiming to be God. You're, you're pushing up against his authority and saying you don't need him, you are him. And so that's why he warns us against it. But listen, once you become a Christian... Once you're found in Christ, your relationship to the law changes because your relationship to God changes. When Jesus becomes your friend, the the moral law of Christ also becomes your friend. It becomes the, the pathway to the good life that you now want in Christ. Because that's That's the new reality of your life, right? What could possibly get you to imagine that you would be able to do something that you couldn't do before? How could you possibly obey God now when you couldn't do it before? The answer is because there's something different about you now if you're in Christ. The the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you. So before we said that only God could fulfill the law, but imagine if the Holy Spirit of God could obey the law through you. And we'll actually unpack that more next week. I want to unpack more of it now, but we're going to talk about the fruits of the Spirit next week. Drew will talk about that. And so so come back. We'll talk about the life of the Spirit in you. But but that is an incredible change of, of God himself obeying the law through you is awesome. So imagine this. If, if I told you that you were going to play some one-on-one basketball with Michael Jordan, and not Michael, Michael Jordan now, even though he probably could still smoke all of us now. Michael Jordan in his prime. You know what that would be? Very discouraging. Just not super fun. And, and you, if I said you have to be as good as Michael Jordan, you'd be like, that's impossible. But now imagine if I said that there was a, a mystical way that Michael Jordan could play basketball through your body. You know what that would be? awesome. You're just dribbling down the court, kind of doing your thing, trying not to lose it. And then you get to the free throw line and all of a sudden you just jump and you don't know why. And you just dunk on somebody. Like that would be incredible. Okay. This is what I'm saying. Trying to be righteous for God is defeating and impossible. God living out righteousness through you by his spirit is awesome and is a really great life. So let me give you a definition of freedom. Freedom is the ability to live in spirit-filled obedience to the law of Christ. Freedom is the ability to live in spirit-filled obedience to the law of Christ. So let's look back at verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, think about, I know that's familiar to most of you, but think about what that statement actually means. The most selfless person in this room still thinks about loving yourself a lot, right? You spend most of your life thinking about your own happiness, your own desires. Imagine if you were as creative and as committed and as passionate about the happiness and desires of the people in your life as you are to your own desires. What would your life look like? So I actually wanna just like kind of stop the sermon for a second, okay? Like stop the the content. I... Can we just brainstorm a little bit about what this would look like? I wanna, I wanna sort of unpack this. Okay, let me, let me start with like the 20-somethings in the crowd. 
We live in a cool place. There is a place right next to our office where I can walk into a building and throw an ax at a target. I can be a real life lumberjack if I want to. That's amazing. So we live in this cool city, but your temptation can be to treat this city as like your adult jungle gym, your, your, your little playground. And, and that's fine. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. But what if you took that same attitude and reversed it and used it for someone else? So imagine that you had a Saturday free. And instead of designing your perfect day, your brunch spot, and who you're going to hang out with, the coffee you're going to drink, the places that you're going to hit, what if... You pick someone in your life, you got to know the stuff that they loved, and then you designed a day for them. And then you told them to clear their schedule, and you picked them up, and you took them to every spot in the city that they enjoy, and you paid for everything, and you just listened to them throughout the day. And then at the end of the day, you wrote them a note saying how much you appreciate them. It would take some effort from you, but still fairly minimal effort, and it would probably, that person would remember that day for the rest of their life. Let, let me, let's keep brainstorming. Let me, let me imagine this through a few different lenses. Okay, marriage. What if you went to your spouse and you said, hey, I got the kids all day. Go do whatever you want and make sure you spend a good amount of money. That'd be awesome. <laughs> what if you refused to escalate an argument? So you're, you're arguing and they're like saying stuff to you and you're about to say stuff back and you're mad, but then you go, oh, I'm not supposed to win this argument. I'm supposed to love that person. And so they're like, you're the worst is what you did. And then you're like, man, I love you. You look good. You look great today. And I, that maybe sounds like a little bit sarcastic. I don't mean it. Not, not sarcastically, just truthfully, just compliment them. That argument is gonna, it would be super hard to argue with you. What if you, as a married couple, consistently invited single people into your life? What if you bridged a little bit of that unfortunate gap between married people and single people in this church or in this culture? And you just, you just pulled them into your life and you, you just hung out with them as friends or, or single people. What if instead of waiting for married people to invite you over to their house, what if you invited them over to your house? And you cook for them. Or what if instead of isolating yourself away from married people because you think they're lame, not very fun, not flexible. Um, I'm married, I can say it, it's fine, it's kind of true. Um, what if instead of doing that, you just showed up and said, hey, can I, can I like take care of the kids and send you guys on a date night? And what if you bought them a gift card and sent them on a date night? Just for fun. What if you had one night a week or one night a month or even one night a year where you just set aside a night on your schedule that was free from anything that you got to do. And the whole point of that night was just to get creative in loving someone. And you just spent that time caring for someone. What about our church? What if you showed up to Connection Group, not super worried about what you're going to get out of it, but you showed up looking for the people that are hurting and then you just asked that person if you could take them out for coffee and you just said, tell me your story. Tell me what's going on in your life. And you just listen. You didn't talk about yourself. You just listen. What if you, as a connection group, dubbed a random day like Molly Day? So let's say there's like a Molly in your connection group, all right? 
and you just go, today is the day of Molly. It's not, it's not her birthday, it's not anything. And you just, as a connection group, gang up on her in love. So you guys like show up at her house, you know everything that she wants to do, you take her out, you're hanging out all day, or maybe every hour of the day, one of you texts her about why you care about her, the stuff you see Jesus doing in her life, and why you're encouraged. Your neighbors, what if you use the craziness and busyness of your life not as a way to get all consumed by what's going on with you, but as a a compassion barometer for the people around you. And you said, you know what, if I'm busy, if I'm stressed out, then maybe my neighbors are busy and stressed out too. Or if I'm like freaking out about homework right now, and that's really hard for me and tests are coming up, I bet other people are feeling like that too. And what if you then just took that time to just practically care for someone. You just made a meal and you brought it over to their house and you said, hey, I just was thinking about you. Here you go. You helped somebody study. You took time away from your studying to help them study. What about this city? So long-term, I... I want to imagine the influence that our city could, or that our church could have in this city. And maybe there will be some specific partnerships that we form long term. I, I don't know exactly what that looks like. I don't have all the answers for that. But, but if you're interested in serving somewhere, instead of waiting for us to create a new program, go serve. There's awesome organizations in the city. Find one and serve. Bless some people. One, one specific tangible thing that, that we can do is, is some of you know Emily. Um, she works at Union Gospel Mission, which is a, a nonprofit um, that is, is trying to help people through poverty and homelessness and addiction. And they do this cool thing around Thanksgiving where they buy groceries for people, just groceries for people that need it. And they give out something like 11,000 bags of groceries to people in the city. So I, I actually texted her and just said, hey, could you bring some of those grocery lists to church? And so we've got those grocery lists outside on the table. Would you guys take one this week and, um, yeah, bring it back to church next Sunday? And uh, if a lot of you listen to that, could some of you help us take them to Union Gospel Mission too? Because I didn't think through the logistics of that too much. Um, (laughs) For real, that you would love me well by that. Um, Yeah. And I know that's not going to change the world. I, I know that's not like forming relationships with it, but it's something It's an act of love that represents who Christ is. And and even if it doesn't have some amazing impact on somebody else, what would that do in you? If you establish a discipline of your life to think about somebody else and to just give yourself to them, that'd be an awesome life. All right, so so last one, and then I'll get off this rant. Um, What if you scheduled in just a slot of time in your schedule, half hour, hour, whatever, that is just free time to love somebody? In fact, let's do this. Would you guys, would you guys pull out your phones? I'm going to do it too. Um, can you go to, if you're willing, would you go to whatever like, system you have, the, your calendar or whatever, and if you don't have a system, you should get one. That's, <laughs> that's free. Um, and just this week, would you just pick a time and just schedule in, just, just label it in your calendar, love somebody, and then just do it. And put a reminder too, put like a little alert or something like that. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually give you a minute to think through that. And I'm gonna do the same, I'm gonna try and schedule it.
I, I, I want to throw this out. Please don't be overwhelmed by this list. Okay, so do one, maybe two of these things max, okay? Don't like try and do 10 of these things. I, I'm just trying to get creative with you. And it's not law. This is not a way for you to impress God. This is a way for you to just live this beautiful life that Jesus has given you the opportunity to live of being a selfless person of love. But don't be burdened by this. Like if your life is crazy, in particular, if you have young kids, pick the easiest thing on the list and do it and call it, that, that's, that's great, right? Let me on the, end on this. What's the, what are we moving towards with this idea? Look at verse five. For through the spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. So this is saying, through the Spirit, by faith, we look forward to eternity. Now look at what it says eternity will be. The hope of righteousness, goodness, right living. That's what heaven will be like. Now, whose righteousness is it? Is it your righteousness? No, it's the righteousness of Jesus that is just gifted to you. It's just handed to you. Here's, here's how this works. I think of um, the, the crucifixion story and the story of Barabbas, who was, who was a criminal, who, who deserved punishment, who was locked up in prison. And because Jesus came, there was an exchange that happened. And, and by the way, this isn't just a random detail. This, this was meant for you to put you in that story. So Barabbas, who was a criminal and deserved punishment, walked out free. Jesus came out and he took the shackles off of Barabbas and he put them on himself. And Jesus took that punishment for Barabbas. That's what Jesus does for you. As he walks up to you, he takes the chains off of your wrist. He puts them on himself. He pays the penalty for your sin. He goes into slavery for you so that you can be free. That's the righteousness that this is talking about. But here's the cool thing. Isn't it true that if, if heaven is a place where you will be good, where you will not be like partially good the way we are now, you will be fully good in Christ and you will live a righteous life and heaven is amazing, isn't it true that we could bring some of that back into this life and if we lived like that now, wouldn't we get a little taste of heaven now? Wouldn't that be the best way to live right now? Righteous living now is like an appetizer for heaven. When we're people of love now, it's, it's just a little something to, to tide us over while we wait. And in that little taste of being good now just whets your appetite for the entree of heaven. And in, in that place, we will be free. We will be free in Christ. We will be free to be righteous like Christ. And so let's be that now by his power, by his spirit. Let me pray. Jesus, thanks that that's true. Thanks that um, we all could leave this room and not do any of the loving things that we just talked about. And if we're found in you, we, we are still saved because it's, it's not by our merit, but by your merit that we're set free. But thanks that that life that life of listening to you and actually living in what you said is, is the good life. That, that that's the way of, of freedom. Thanks for offering us the chance not only to be free in the future, but to be free now through the way that we live and, and make us into a church that, that loves your freedom, that, that pursues it, that even 
that, that would be able to see the, the slavery of our own sin and, and to be able to turn from that and turn towards good living in you. We, we want to taste and see that the Lord is good and we want to do that in our lives now, not just in the future. And so help us to do that, God. We, we trust you and we love you. Amen.